I'm not sure when I began this series, I guess it was back in January now, <clears throat> the series on 2 Corinthians, I'm not sure exactly what I expected, I'll be honest with you. I, when I plan out what I'm going to preach on, I spend some time, of course, looking over what I have preached on, what maybe we, we haven't gotten to in a while or whatever, the books of the Bible that we haven't covered yet and so on and so forth. And maybe maybe sometimes there'll be a particular topic or theme that it seems to be very relevant that we need to touch on or something important that maybe we haven't heard in a while or whatever. And so <clears throat> as I plan things out, that's kind of how I go about it. I'm just asking the Lord, God, what is it that you want to say? What, how is it that you want to, to lead in the next several months? Because typically, as you well know, this, the series that we do usually are not two or three weeks at a time. This one is 19. I think, I think my record is 20, I think it's 24. So this is actually short, relatively speaking. So if you're tired of this one, sorry, this is a short series. Anyway, but in all honesty, I, I spend time in, so last, last November, I guess it was, I still had not decided what was I going to preach on beginning in January. It was one of those deals that was very odd. I just had no particular direction for the Holy Spirit. And I thought, you know, God, um, in case you haven't noticed, January is going to get here pretty soon. And it would be nice if you told me, here's what you need to be preaching on. So anyway... We got to, last year, of course, in the Bible reading plan that we were tracking along with as a church, we got to the book of 2 Corinthians. And as I read it, as I worked through it, I thought, man, this, this is really, really good. Now, the whole Bible is really, really good, but you understand what I'm saying? It was very fresh for me. I, I, I had read it before, but not really very in-depth, I suppose. And there were some scripture passages in there that I knew and had memorized and whatever, you know, so certain bits and pieces I knew. But the more that I read it, and the more that it stuck out to me, the more I thought, this is something that, that others might benefit from as well. And, and this is something that I, I think maybe our church as a whole would really, would, would really benefit from. And, and so I had never really studied 2 Corinthians, and honestly, as we got into it, I didn't know what to expect from it. I didn't know how it would touch me or you or how it would impact it, and I had no idea. And what I really didn't know, based on having never studied the letter very in depth, was that Paul spends the majority of his time, really focuses mainly on the ups and downs of being a spiritual leader. That's really the focus of 2 Corinthians. Now, he's got some other things in there, and we've seen those. We, he talks about the collection that he's, that he's taking up for the Jerusalem Christians and some other things that he hits on. But the focus of the letter is the ups and downs of being a spiritual leader. And he, he wore his heart on his sleeve, if you haven't noticed, in this letter. In God's sovereignty, thankfully, he chose to inspire these words that Paul wrote so that we'd have them in the Bible and we'd be able to learn from them centuries later. And if there's anything that stands out to me in this book, in this letter, it's that being a spiritual leader is, is not an easy thing. Uh, you, you don't have to be a pastor, you don't have to be a deacon or a trustee or a Sunday school teacher or any particular officially recognized role in the church to understand that leading people spiritually is not an easy thing to do. And each of us, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, each of us have been given people that we are called to make disciples of, to lead spiritually. They may be in your church. They may be in your Sunday school class. They may be in your home. They may be wherever. But each of us, if we are believers in Jesus, the Lord has placed people in our lives and commanded us to go and make disciples of those people. And we know it's not an easy thing to do, particularly as our world changes. Now, here's what I've learned from reading this particular book, this letter, and from life as a spiritual leader. 
here, and this is the, the main theme. You're going to get this early, and it's on your bulletin. Your outline there, some of you maybe have already guessed this. Being a spiritual leader will drain you, and it will fill you up. It will, it will drain you, and fill you. That's, what, that's, that's part of being a spiritual leader. Sometimes it happens at the same time, doesn't it? You're pouring yourself out, you're giving yourself in, in faithful service to the Lord and to others, and you are drained and filled up all at the same time. Isn't that weird? Sometimes it, it, it happens literally on the same day, or maybe even in the same moment, with the same people. Right there, that's just the way that it goes. you got those people in your life, they drain you and they fill you up. You, you sort of hate and love to see them coming and going at the same time, right? That's just the way that it is. Here's how I found that being a spiritual leader can drain you. I just, I just started thinking, you know, how is it that as a spiritual leader, as someone who's trying to disciple other people, and I'm not even talking about just an official church role as the pastor here, but how is it that, that being a spiritual leader can drain you? Have you ever noticed that it's a one-way street? You ever notice that, being a spiritual leader? I mean, it's, it, you are constant, you're just giving. <clears throat> and and you, you, are, you are making the investment. That's just the way that it goes, right? That's what being a spiritual leader is. Jesus said, go and make disciples. He didn't say, go and try to get a bunch of applause and thanks and credit and so on. He said, go and make disciples. And that's a one-way street. doesn't matter what they do. We still have to lead spiritually. You know, another thing I've noticed that will drain you as a spiritual leader is that there's often apathy among those you, that you lead, isn't there? You, you, maybe you've been teaching, I look around at our Sunday school teachers, and maybe you've been teaching Sunday school for 150 years. And for those 150 years, it seems that nobody has been listening, right? And you, you boy, you're, you're studying and you're preparing and you're pouring your heart out and nobody's listening. You know, and, and, I, and listen, it's even, it's even greater when, when those who aren't listening are the kids, right? And then their parents are like, hey, thanks for taking care of my kids this morning because I really didn't want to, right? There's just apathy among those that, that we lead sometimes. And listen, what else will, will, will drain us is there's lots of time spent. You ever invested in somebody's life over and over and over? And I mean, now they've got access to you all the time. They can tweet you. They can send you a message on Instagram. They can text you. They can message you on Facebook. I mean, all kinds of ways now. It's not just when you see them. I mean, it's all the time and, and so much time invested. And some of you have faced the criticism that comes with being a spiritual leader. Doesn't that drain you? And you're just thinking, look, I'm doing, do you not know what I'm doing for you? I mean, I, man, I'm pouring myself out as best I can, as best I know how. And if you've ever been in spiritual leadership, you also know it's, it's draining because it can be very lonely, right? You kind of feel like you're all alone in it sometimes. And you're just, boy, I'm, I'm, I, is anybody else, does anybody else get it? There's also some internal and spiritual warfare that takes place among spiritual leaders. Lots of emotions get spent. Lots of expectations are not met. Boy, it can be draining, can it? Maybe, maybe you're the person who's a spiritual leader for the people at work. You seem to be the only one who's really walking with Jesus, and you're doing the best that you can, not just to set a good example, but to truly see that place transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, and you're worn out, just totally drained. Or maybe in your family, you may have some other believers there, but there's nobody who maybe takes it as seriously as you do. And, and you've got relatives, whether they are parents or maybe even a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, or your children, or, or nieces and nephews, or whomever that you're trying to pour into, and you're the only one who's really doing it. And man, it wears you out. 
or you look around just in our community and you say, you know, it's a great place and we've got lots of good people, but how much spiritual, true, deep spiritual leadership is you, is there? And so you're trying to provide that and, and you're drained and it can do that to you, but it can also fill you up. This is what I've noticed. There's nothing that fills up spiritual leaders quite like transformation in the lives of those that they're leading. You ever had those moments? I used to, I I do still miss it. Clint knows this. I miss being in youth ministry. And and one day I'm I'm going to, how can I do this? I'm, what can I do? Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to. Fire, can I fire myself and appoint you the pastor so I can be the youth pastor? Can we do? It's more fun being the youth pastor, to be honest with you. You have a lot of fun. It's a good time. Now, I mean, you're going to lose your hair eventually. You know, the goon squad, I think, is actually here today. Yes, plus one. And so, so but, but listen, I, there's nothing quite like when you see somebody that you've been leading spiritually and they begin to understand. And you see those things start to happen and the seeds in their lives that you've been planting, God begins to grow those things. And, and there's nothing like the life transformation that comes from that. You know what I'm talking about. You also get filled up as the Lord begins to use you in other, other areas and you've been faithful in this one particular area. And so God opens another door and gives you more people that you can lead and so on. And, you know, it's also filling to know that, that we're not having just an earthly impact, but an eternal impact on the lives of people. You're leaving a great legacy both in your family and in your workplace and in this community. And there's joy, of course, that comes from serving the Lord and serving other people. And the relationships that are established can last a lifetime. And you also get to experience God's affirmation as you do His will. There's a lot of filling up that takes place. So it's kind of both, right? It's draining and it's filling. And if you ever tried to disciple somebody, then of course you know what I'm talking about. One minute you're drained and the next minute you're filled up and you're excited. Now, let me just give you a little bit of a side note. I don't mean to make this bad news, but it kind of is. So just prepare yourself. If, if you are a spiritual leader in this world, on this earth, there is typically more draining than there is filling. Okay, just, just so you know that. The reason being is that our rewards as spiritual leaders are not immediate and temporal, but they are delayed and they are eternal. And so if you look at the lives of people in Scripture, Jesus in particular, and then you look, say, at Paul, as we'll see here, and the lives of Christian leaders through the centuries, they have often been more drained, at least earthly, than they were apparently filled up, but they experience eternal rewards that last forever. But how can we do well? I think that's what Paul is summing up in his letter as we get close to the end today. How can we do well in our spiritual leadership? How do we keep going even when it might be draining for us? How can we see it through like Jesus did, like Paul did? So if you've got your Bible, flip over to 2 Corinthians. Some of you may already be there. If you don't know anything about the Bible whatsoever, don't let that stop you this morning. If you've got a smartphone or a tablet, you've got the Bible app, I'd highly encourage that you download that app. It's tremendous. You can look there very easily and you can find 2 Corinthians. If you've got a Bible and a hard copy of the Bible, we've, we've placed those there in the pews. The, the book of 2 Corinthians is over in the New Testament. So if you turn about, I don't know, 15 sixteenths of the way through, that's what we're going to call it this morning. You'll get there. All right, if you had time to find 2 Corinthians, go to the map, turn to the left, keep going. You'll get to 2 Corinthians. We're at the end of the letter. We're not at the very end, but we're at the end. We'll see the end of it, truthfully, next week. But uh, as we've looked through this, honestly, Paul has had such a tumultuous relationship with the Corinthians. You might think that he's just going to be done with them. Honestly, from a human standpoint, that's probably what we'd advise him to do. 
is, man, these people, okay, there's some good ones there, but for the most part, they're not. They're, they're, they are, they're very toxic. I mean, honestly, they are not good people for you to continue to associate with. They just drain you over and over. Some of the people, as Paul has, has written and interacted with them, some of them turn back from the ways that they've been going that weren't good and were sinful, and they've, they've, they've repented of their sin, and they've turned back to Jesus Christ, and they're doing the right things, but not all of them had. And leading them was a very frustrating and painful experience. But what we see in Paul is that he won't give up. And so his example is worth following. And he shows us how to have a lasting impact. He shows us that being that spiritual leader will drain you and fill you up. But he's going to give us really three things this morning that, that will show us how do you have a lasting impact even through the ups and downs of spiritual leadership. The first, we'll see in the first few verses here, is to love selflessly. How do you have a lasting impact? Well, you, you've got to be willing to love selflessly. Look at verse 11. He says this, I've become a fool. You forced it on me. I ought to have been recommended by you since I am in no way inferior to what he calls the so-called super apostles, even though I'm nothing. The signs of an apostle were performed among you in all endurance, not only signs, but wonders and miracles. So that in, 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 in what way rather does he say? You were treated worse than the other churches, except that I personally did not burden you. Forgive me this wrong. He says, look, I'm ready to come to you this third time. I will not burden you, for I'm not seeking what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for you. I love you more. Am I to be loved less? Now granted... I have not burdened you, yet sly as I am, I took you in by deceit. Did I, not, did I take advantage of, of you by anyone I sent to you? I urged Titus to come, and I sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we walk in the same spirit and in the same footsteps? Now stop there for just a second. Paul, by the way, is being a little sarcastic. In case you hadn't noticed that, and if you're just joining us in this series, maybe you're not familiar with the book of 2 Corinthians in any way, he's being sarcastic. He says things like, forgive me of this wrong. I didn't burden you. I'm so sorry that I didn't do that. And he, and he goes on to say, you know, have we, have we taken advantage of you? Look, I'm so sly. I took you in by deceit all oh, so that I could deceive you. He's being sarcastic. He's being facetious and saying, guys, I didn't do any of that stuff. I've loved you, he says. What he talks about what should have happened in the first couple of verses is that they should have recommended and received him without any complaint whatsoever. But instead, they accuse him of wrongdoing. They accuse him of being a burden to them. They accuse him of, of giving them a hard time. Now, at that moment, I don't know about you, but typically what we tell people is when that happens to you and you've poured yourself out for people and you've done all you can and they return it with saying, you know what, we don't want anything to do with you. What do we tell people? Just wash your hands up and move on. Just, just get away from them. I mean, you know, we, 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 we don't need anything to do with those people. What does Paul say, however? Look at verse 14. He says, I'm ready to come to you this third time. <laughs> really? Paul, that's dumb. I mean, honestly, dude, that's dumb. Do you understand these people, they don't like you? I mean, they, they don't want to hear your message. They, uh, some of them do, but, but for the most part, they can't control the other people who don't. So it's dumb to go to them a third time. Paul says, I'm going to you a third time. And this is even after, by the way, the previous visit had been very, very painful on both sides, particularly for Paul. But he's going to go back to them anyway because that's what selfless love looks like. God had sent, them to lead, he sent Paul rather, to lead them, and he's going to see it through. And when he goes, he says there in verse 14, he says, I'm not going to be a burden to you. 
He won't take anything from them. He says, I'm not seeking what is yours, but you actually. I'm trying to get to you. He doesn't want anything from them. He just wants their hearts. That's what he's going for. And that's why he could endure all the insults they threw at him. All the disappointments that they provided for him and all the frustrations that he endured with them. Because he loved them. It wasn't as if, however, his emotions were unaffected. Paul, as, we, as I talked about, he wore his emotions on his sleeves here, but he, he's, he's affected by it, he's hurt by it, but he chose to love them anyway. And that's how he would continue to lead them toward Jesus, was simply to go over and over. For Paul, this thing was a one-way street. It didn't matter what they did to him. It didn't matter how they felt about him. Because he said, God has given me these people to lead and I will lead them. His love, he said, this is very interesting, in verse 14, children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. He says, his love is like a father toward his children. It's a one-way street with nothing expected in return. Now, I, 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 I don't think, and, and this does not necessarily rule out those who have not had children, but I don't think you can fully understand what the love of a parent is like unless you have children of your own. Now, some of you have seen it in your parents, but I, I, I did not understand it. I remember when my dad was going to, to school way back in the early 1980s. And I was very, very young and, and very young. I was three or four years old at the time. And I remember my dad, he was going to the University of Louisville. And he was pursuing a degree in recreation so that he could go into recreation ministry. And maybe some of you remember at that time, that was a really up-and-coming kind of thing in the church. Lots of churches. And, and of course, our church just before that had built a gym and family life centers and so on. And, and so my dad at the time was going to school full-time. And I don't know why, but I remember, you know how you have these little memories when you're a kid and so on. I remember going to class with him. My mom was working. Dad was going to school full-time. And so he was taking care of, of me and my sister. As I remember one time, he takes me to a class at the University of Louisville. And I'm sure it was this weird experience for him. I, I mean, I don't know. But here I am, a little three or four-year-old guy, and I'm sitting there in class with my dad, you know. But I remember dad got done with that. He had finished an associate's degree, was going to pursue a bachelor's degree. But because at the time our family was struggling so much financially, only going on one income at the time, my mother was not making a tremendous amount of money, dad quit school. He said, I can't do this anymore. Now, I'm not telling you this is what you should go and do likewise. I'm simply explaining to you, this is what a parent will do, right? His family, his children needed him to do something. And so what, what happened? He, he gave up his own, right? He says, I'll, I, I, nothing matters except what I need to do for my children. And so my dad at that time, he, he said, well, I, I, okay, this is what I need to do. Years later, when I was in high school, my mom who was a nurse for 40 some odd years was, was at the time working nights because what that provided for her was the opportunity to go to all of my baseball games, make more money to save up for us to go to college and then be available every time that we were not at school. And mom did that gladly. You ever have people in your life that do that stuff for you? None of that mattered to me until I had my own kids. So, you know, when I was three and four years old, I didn't go and applaud my dad and say, hey, man, that was cool what you did for us. You know, that was awesome. <laughs> when my mom was working nights, I just thought, well, whatever. You yeah, know, okay. I try to be quiet, you know, when you're asleep. I mean, I, you know, I didn't understand it. And now I've got four kids of my own. And as Paul says, I will gladly spend and be spent. We sure spend. There ain't no doubt about that. <laughs> 
We just had one turn 16 yesterday. Our oldest is now 16. And we got a 16-year-old, a 14-year-old, an 11-year-old, an 8-year-old. And here's what I've found. When they're little, they're cute, and they're inexpensive. You may spend some on diapers and formula. I know some of you got little ones. Oh, man, this is insane. Just wait. I, people told me that. Now I get it. Whew. Man, they get, they get more expensive. They get busier. But I'm going to tell you this, and I, and I say it because I understand what Paul is saying here. Okay. That's my response. Okay. We drove to Nashville and, and, uh, for, for Lucy's birthday. We were driving back yesterday. And we were all, all six of us were in my truck. So it's, a, it's really, it's, I mean, it's Beverly Hillbillies or something. I don't know what it is. But we're all six in my truck. And so there's, I'm, of course, I'm driving. Nancy's in the passenger seat. Duke is sitting in the seat that's next to me in the, in the front. And he falls asleep on the way home. And I'm in this position where I, if I move, I'm going to wake him up. But if I don't move, that cramp in my back from being in that position is going to keep going for another hour and a half on the way home. Do you know what I did, though? Listen, I don't say this to my credit. I didn't move. You know why? Because that's my kid. You get what I'm saying? You've been there. Some of you are like, no, I don't care. I get it. I get it, okay? But, but, but Paul's example of how to love selflessly, he says, here's what a good father does. We'll spend and be spent over and over and over again. And listen, in spiritual leadership, that's what you've got to be willing to do. Because humans are going to human, aren't they? Every time. You've got to be willing to say, I'll give more. I'll love selflessly. I'll spend and be spent, and that's okay. It's a one-way street like a child, like a father, rather, with a child. I wonder who are your spiritual children? How can you love them selflessly? It ties really just runs right in, of course, to the, the very next example here that Paul gives. And he talks about that we should pour ourselves out. I've already said it several times. It just kind of goes together. You love selflessly, you pour yourself out. I mean, they're, they're really hand in hand because they're in the same verses. And this is the verse in 15 where he says, I will gladly spend and be spent. He considered it a joy to pour himself out for the people that he was leading spiritually, viewing them as children. There's nothing that he wouldn't do to see them know and to understand and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just like that good parent who will gladly spend and be spent for his or her children. Go broke if you need to, right? Do without. Do what's best for your children, even if you're spent in the process. That's how good parents operate, and that's what good spiritual leaders do for those that they're leading. You pour yourself out. Paul is a spiritual parent. He wore himself out. These, these words actually mean to the point of exhaustion. And he says, I'll gladly do it so that you might see and know and understand and believe in Jesus Christ. That's what it takes to be a spiritual leader, by the way. There's nothing, at least I'll say this, there should be nothing glamorous about being a spiritual leader. We, we, we've made it in our American culture, in our celebrity culture, we've made it a glamorous thing. People have followings and so on and so forth. And, but there should be nothing glamorous about being a spiritual leader. There's nothing glamorous about Jesus on the cross. Nothing. It was shameful. There was nothing glamorous about Paul. That's the reason they didn't like him, because they wanted something glamorous. There should be nothing glamorous about being a spiritual leader, simply about pouring yourself out. To the point of exhaustion, he says, wow. 
The truth is, we'll exhaust ourselves for who and what we really care about. That's the bottom line. And Paul cared about his spiritual children like that. So we love selflessly. We, we pour ourselves out for those that God has given us to lead spiritually. And, and then thirdly, we've got to aim for the right target. <clears throat> he, he says in verse 19, he says, You have thought all along that we were defending ourselves to you. But he says, no. In the sight of God, we are speaking in Christ. And everything, he says, dear friends, is for building you up. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I will not find you to be what I want. And I may not be found by you to be what you want. There may be quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. For I fear that when I come, my God will again humiliate me in your presence And I will grieve for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness, sexual immorality, and promiscuity that they practiced. Here's what Paul is saying. He says, I I want to be sure that, that I'm not just leading you to do some good things and have a little better life right now. I just buy... He says, you've thought all along that I've been defending myself here. Paul has spent this letter, if you've been with us, he spent this letter defending his right to serve on behalf of the Lord. And he says, you might think this is about me, but it's not. This is about whether or not you will hear and receive the gospel of Jesus Christ so that your life may be changed forever, so that you will repent of sin and turn and be made new. He says, it may have sounded like this has been me defending myself, but that's not it. Instead, what I've been trying to do, he says all along, is build you up. That's the target that I'm aiming for. I want to strengthen your faith. I want you to walk with Jesus very, very closely. He's hoping to avoid a lack of spiritual growth. He's hoping to avoid them remaining in sin. He's hoping to avoid division in the church. And so everything he says, everything that I've done, the way that I've handled things, the, the things that I've written, what I've said to you, all of that, even the things that hurt your feelings because it was difficult truth to hear, even those things he says I've done in order to build you up. Think about it for just a second. What, what target are we aiming for? Make it, make it personal for just a second. Those of you as we talk and make the, the correlation here between spiritual children and, and our physical children... Those of you that right now are raising kids or have influence over your children's lives in some way, what, what target are you going for? Behavior modification? Well, if I can just get them to act right and be good citizens, and we'll have succeeded. Okay. Are, are, we, are we aiming for the target of absolute life transformation? That's the target. Listen, we can get our kids, we can get our, our people that follow us to do whatever we want. We, we can threaten them enough. You, ever, you know the parents that threaten everybody? You know, you know those, just, boy, they just threaten over and over and over. I'd see it. You know the leaders that do that, whether it's school, team, church, wherever, they just threaten? I could, I could, I, I probably shouldn't say this because then it, then it won't work. But I could, I could threaten you guys, right? I could hold things over your head. Boy, if you don't do this, God's going to get you. Clint will get you too, right? He's scary. 
You know what I'm saying? Well, couldn't we do that? Have you ever done that before? I just, Paul's saying, look, I'm not threatening you. I'm not even defending myself. That's not what I'm going for. I don't want you just to act better. I don't want you just to do things a little better and kind of be a better person. No. He says, I want you to know and to love Jesus so that your life is radically transformed by the grace of God. As a spiritual leader for whomever it is that God has given you, aim for that target. Maybe you've never thought about it in those terms. Maybe nobody's ever shown you that. Maybe you've never read about Paul and his target that he was aiming for, but maybe today you leave here with a different target for the people that you're leading. It's not just your own children, but it's whomever that is that God has given you. We need spiritual leaders like Paul in our church and in our homes and in our community who have as their target that people would be radically transformed by the grace of God. Paul's impact, of course, is unmistakable on them. His example is also, of course, very powerful for us. He did not give up, he says this in Galatians, he did not give up on doing good and doing what was right for those under his spiritual care because he knew that he would reap the harvest one day. He poured himself out for the Lord because the Lord had poured himself out for Paul. Imagine, by the way, if Jesus had stopped short and said, you know, I've, I've lived a good life. I've done a lot of good things. I mean, these people know I'm a good teacher. And that whole dying on the cross thing, I'm good. Uh, no, I'm, I, I, I've done enough pouring myself out. I ain't going through that. Imagine if he had stopped short. You know, what? we'd all be dead in our sin. All of us. In the book of Hebrews, if you want to flip over there, just turn to the right just a little bit. I'll read this and hopefully let it, let it impact us. And then we'll close in just a moment. The writer here who, by all accounts, remains anonymous to us, the writer has just listed in chapter 11 all kinds of people who are examples for us in our faith. And he calls them, as we'll see in verse 12, this cloud of witnesses that's surrounding us. Anyway, he says, Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surround us, surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us and run with endurance the race that lies before us. And you might think, well, let's just go have a good life. Let's live a good Christian life, and that's what we need to be doing. He says in verse 2, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him endured a cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. The reason I share that scripture with you is because sometimes as we survey the race that God has laid out before us, it's one that we don't want to run. Because it's difficult and it's not easy and it's challenging and there are people who will get in our way and the life of a spiritual leader will be difficult. But Jesus, Paul, the writer here says, and, and, and I think it correlates with what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians, Jesus, who it says, for the joy that lay before him, when did the joy arrive? When he ascended back with his heavenly father. It was an eternal joy. The joy that lay before him, that's what motivated him to keep going and endure the hard time of the cross. As a spiritual leader, let me encourage you, beg you if I need to, keep going. Don't quit. 
Don't give up. Fix your eyes on Jesus who loved selflessly and poured himself out and aimed for the target of our heart. Fix your eyes on him this morning that you might find new inspiration and a new way to endure. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the writer said, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, endured it, went through it, so that we might receive salvation and ultimately he received glorification, the right hand of God the Father. Who's God given you to lead spiritually, to disciple? Not to have a better life, but to truly lead toward Jesus. Let me encourage you to love him selflessly with everything you got. To pour yourself out, trusting that God will fill you up. And to aim for the right target in them. Who is it? Let me encourage you this morning, spend a little bit of time in prayer before you leave. To say, God, you know those people that you've given me. Maybe they're a little bit like the Corinthians. They've caused you some difficulties and some pain. But Lord, today I commit to love them selflessly. To pour myself out for them and to aim for the, for the right target in them. Let's pray together.